This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, I'm not bad, mate. Not bad at all. Wednesday, yeah, romp to victory at the weekend. Biggest win in eight years, so all is well in my world. How about you? Finished on your travels of across the the Irish Sea, then down the coast, and then back up again? Yeah, I don't like Yeovil. I don't ever want to go back to Yeovil. It's a bad place in the country. If you ever have the opportunity to visit Yeovil, don't, because it's a bit of a shithole, and it's an absolute nightmare to get out of. So, sorry if I've offended anyone from Yeovil, but you've got a shit county, and I'm afraid to say that. Um, but at least Grimsby won, so at least it wasn't all in vain. But that was a nightmare of a Sunday journey, which I didn't appreciate, and I hold the whole of Yeovil responsible for. But apart from that, all good. That's good. Glad, glad to hear it. Yeah, I'm not you know, bitter you, about you, it either. No, you, you don't want Yeovil to get back to the Championship again anytime soon, then? No, I hope they get relegated to the National League South. Anyway, all things championship. As always, a reminder to subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. We hit 3,000 followers recently, so if you're not already subscribed to us uh, on social media, make sure that you are because you are missing out. On today's podcast, as always, we're going to be breaking down all the key talking points from a controversial weekend of championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to start our weekend roundup with Coventry City 4, Sheffield United 1, the standout result in the Championship this weekend, summing up what an unpredictable league we have. Pretty phenomenal performance from Mark Robbins' men who tore apart the division's informed side. Sheffield United just spanking Middlesbrough in midweek 4-1 and then go to the, the Coventry City Building Society Stadium and get spanked themselves, coming off 4-1 losers. Um, this was all about Callum O'Hare. Absolutely sensational performance. He hadn't scored all season, of course. Had about, what, 50 shots, 80 shots he's had in the league this season and not scored. And then, like London Buses, two come around at once. The first certainly won't win him any prizes. A scrappy goal that's bundled over the line, which probably Wes Fodderingham won't want to see back. And um, the second, a much better finish, taking on his right foot. A lovely little uh, sort of like driven shot with his left foot into the bottom corner. For me, though, the fourth goal was the pick of the bunch. Unbelievable skill from Matson to sort of like just flick the ball around the corner into her hair, who great first touch to get it out of his feet. And a simple squared ball for Matty Gordon back after his uh, spell on the sidelines with appendicitis. Uh, just sublime football from Coventry. They racked up an XG of uh, 4.53. So no hot finishing here, really. They could have had far more. Every Sheffield United fan I've spoken to has said Wes Fodderingham finished the game man of the match despite shipping four goals in, which shows just how off the pace they were. But that's credit to Coventry City. I thought Gokerez Goc- uh, was, again, fantastic, as he has been for most of the season. But O'Hare, definitely the star man in this one. Only five points now between Blackburn Rovers in fourth and Millwall in 11th. Coventry a tenth in that. Certainly not out of the equation as far as the top six goes. And, you know, as we see Luton get a lot of plaudits and we see Derby continue to fight against the odds, Huddersfield Town, we shouldn't forget how far this Coventry City side has come because they've been in and around that top 10 all season, most of it in the playoffs. We shouldn't forget that when it comes round to you know dishing out awards at the end of the season and, and really heaping praise because that, this was a sublime performance. And it feels like this has been coming for a few weeks. They, they, they've been playing well, not quite getting the right rub of the green or the finishing's let them down in some instances. And someone was due a good hiding. And I don't think anyone expected it to be Sheffield United, the form team of the division. But that just shows the the you know the top level that Coventry City can hit um, on any given match day. Indeed, it does, doesn't it? And like you say, Sheffield United had been in such terrific form; they'd they'd barely been conceding goals. So to have stuck four past them with the way that with the way they've been playing is a is a terrific effort from Coventry City. And so we've done it as well without Mark Robbins there. Obviously, he tested positive for COVID, so he wasn't able to attend the game. That makes it just that little bit sweeter for Coventry and the players, no doubt. But their form has just been a little bit patchy, hasn't it, in recent weeks? They've drawn one, lost a couple, won one, drawn one again. Just been a bit up and down. So, like you say, the performances, though, have been pretty good. And to have done that to a very, very good Sheffield United side, the way they've been playing, is is hugely, hugely admirable. 
And you have to continue to think that they could get into the top six in what is proving to be a wide open battle that for us as neutrals is is absolutely gripping to watch. And it's impossible for me at the minute to predict who will finish in those four playoff places. So for me, Coventry have got just as good a chance as anyone. And like you said, that they have been up there all season. They're obviously they had that formidable run of home form at the very start of the campaign where they were winning games for fun on their own patch. Weren't quite getting things right away from home, but they were getting the odd point here and there. But they've proven, haven't they, that they are capable of taking the very best of the cleaners this season. They battered Fulham 4-1 back in October and they've beaten Sheffield United 4-1 now. So they have got it in them to beat the very best in this division and pretty much embarrass some of the top teams. So if Coventry can keep doing that and keep playing in the way that they can and they've proven as well that they are capable of putting the ball in the back of the net on quite a quite a consistent base in high numbers. So, looking ahead to their next few fixtures, I mean, they've got Hull City at home on Wednesday evening as we record on Monday night. So, if you're listening to this late in the week, obviously, the, the game will have been played. And then at the weekend, they go to Derby and they've got an out-of-form Blackburn at home after the international break. So, it's an opportunity for Coventry just to, just to keep their heads above water in that situation and keep them in and around the, the playoff pack because, like you said, they, they're in this race for a reason. They've got just as much a chance as anybody. And if they keep doing what they've done, particularly at home, I don't think they can be discredited and, and ignored in this playoff battle. But looking ahead beyond those next three, then they've got Forest away and Fulham away. And those could be the two games where they could struggle, could come short. Not saying they will, but they could. So I think the next three could really give us a real indicator if they are going to be in this race come the, come the very end of April. If you'd said that to a Coventry City fan at the start of the season, they'd have called you mad. And I think they a would lot have. of, you know, they we would have. have. I, I but, don't think either of us predicted Coventry to go down. I certainly didn't. But I didn't expect them to be in the top half of the table. Never mind uh, pushing for the playoffs in mid-March. They've been absolutely fantastic. The Sheffield I got United... Ninth, uh, I got them in 19th. 19th. I, I, don't, 19th, I probably wasn't which, far above that. I think I had 16th. Which shows. So they've done a tremendous job. And like you said in the opening segment, they've, they've been up there all season. And they have. So fair play to them. It's been a terrific achievement, playoffs or not. Absolutely. For Sheffield United, a, a real head-scratching performance this one. I don't think anyone really saw this coming. They were sensational, as I said earlier in midweek, to beat Middlesbrough 4-1, but really off the pace to, uh, this weekend. Whereas Fodderingham, as I say, conceded four goals, man of the match performance, which kind of shows where they were at. You know, if you concede 4.53 XG, you deserve to lose, and it could have been 5 or 6, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, they definitely got a few injury problems, and I think that came to bite them. They're missing Chris Basham, who's been playing on the right side of defence. Uh, of course, all season, he's out injured. Um, ben Davis is, was out injured for this one as well, which meant uh, Gordon had to come in at right centre-back for only his second start in the Championship. They're missing a natural right wing-back. Both uh, George Baldock and um, Jaden Bogle are both out injured at the moment. So they've got been playing Bez Ben Osborne at right wing-back, which obviously is a left footer, isn't quite right. And they've not got those options off the bench with Rian Brewster and David McGoldrick injured as well. So they're definitely not as, as strong as they could be. There's definitely some disbalance to this side. So I think a result like this is understandable. But I just think after the result of midweek, I just don't think we saw it coming. But when you look a, dig a little bit deeper, despite the form, the injuries have definitely caused a few problems for Sheffield United. And certainly when they took the lead, I don't think anyone saw this sort of comeback coming. No, I totally agree. I mean... It was it was a kind of a fluke result, and that's not to that's not to disrespect Coventry or anything like that because they played very very well and they deserved the win fully. But Sheffield United obviously just they had one of those days, and they're going to take a reference here that you'll be familiar with in terms of what Sheffield Wednesday experienced against Lincoln City in League One a couple of weeks ago. Nobody saw a three-one defeat coming, and they bounced back in style. Sheffield United will be looking to do exactly the same when they take to the field again in midweek. So. For them, they've just got to look at it. Yeah, it's a little bit of a setback. We are struggling a little bit with injuries at the minute. But let's be honest, they've been on a remarkable run. Paul Heckingbottom has seemingly united the club again, in a way, because there was a lot of a lot of friction there and a lot of problems. And when he got the job, a lot of people were thinking, what the hell are they doing going for him? But he's proven everybody wrong so far. And one off day can't, can't take the gloss and the shine off that. So Sheffield United firmly in the race still, for me, I think they are one of the favourites going into the top six in terms of those that are in and around it. So, nothing more than an off day. But, of course, time will tell if it does prove to be the case and damages them moving forward. But I, would, I wouldn't be too worried. Perhaps the biggest result in terms of consequence this weekend, George, was at Kenilworth Road on Sunday where 
Luton Town lost 2-1 at home to Queen's Park Rangers. Um, coming from behind the R's to, to get their first win, um, you know, after a run of one win in eight, pretty poor form. So to get this one from him from behind shoots them up to fourth in the table. And this is a huge result in the in the battle for the playoff places. Andre Gray dragged them back into the game, it has to be said, at 1-0 down. Um, great footwork to, to win the penalty off Kai Naismith. Definitely a penalty and superb composure to stick it in the top corner as well. I feel like Andre Gray's been a little bit, not misused, but a little bit underappreciated by QPR this season. When you look at his numbers, um, you know, it doesn't look too good when I tell you he scored seven goals in 21 games. But when you actually break that down, that's actually 932 minutes, which is essentially 10 full 90s. So when you look at it like that, seven goals in 10 in terms of full 90-minute performances, that's a really good record. And I feel like he's popped up in big moments for them this season. I think back to the last-minute winner at Pride Park. That that springs to mind instantly. And I feel like in big moments when Lyndon Dykes has been perhaps out of the team or out injured, he's been the one that stepped up more than Charlie Austin, for example. And I think that he certainly shouldn't go under the radar. And I think that it's difficult because they can only play one up front if they want to play both Chair and Willock in this 3-4-3 system. But I said it before that I think their best performances have come when they've only played one number 10 and they played two strikers. So I would like... And it probably won't go down that well, but maybe I would like to see Chris Willett pay behind Gray and Dykes when he's back fit between now and the end of the season. And that sounds ridiculous that a player of Ilias Chair's quality wouldn't get in the starting eleven. But I actually think the balance of the team is better. And when you look at their best run when Chair was at AFCON, that's the system they had and it worked better. Um, Rob Dickey, of course, back from injury as well. And he headed in a price, priceless winner, which rockets them up to fourth in the table. And I've always been big on QPR all season. I predict them to finish in the top six at the start of the season. I think before going to Kenilworth Road, this is the most I've doubted them. And I think it's the most a lot of people will have doubted them. But this was a really, really massive comeback victory for them. And it really reignites my belief that they can finish in the playoffs. Yeah, I must admit, I was I was beginning to, not panic, but I was beginning to have concerns about QPR after that defeat to Cardiff uh, a week last Saturday. And I thought their form's really taken a nosedive. I think it was one winning eight in League and Cup. The goals weren't flowing as frequently as they had been at the, in the first few months of the season. and You just thought, are, are they going to drop off? And really, they're another team that have been there or thereabouts all season long and looked pretty good and looked nailed on. So it was a win that they had to get on Sunday. And on the balance of it, I think the second half, they did deserve it. They really stepped it up. I saw bits of the game, didn't see it all. But the second half, they were the better side. And obviously, Rob Dickey, we've not, we've not spoken about for a while after his flying start to the season, popped up. Popped up, popped up with a priceless winner, as you say, and it's he's elevated them to fourth, which is quite remarkable considering that the run that they've been on, that they've managed to get up to fourth with one winning something like four or five games, whatever it is. So it proves that they are in the pack. They are quite clearly one of the teams that need to be taken most serious in this race. So it's just a case now of trying to build on it because that many teams over the weekend in the top 10 struggled to get wins on the board. It was a really weird weekend, wasn't it, where... I think there was only Forest QPR and in fact no that was you know Bournemouth won as well, didn't they? So it was three in the top ten that I think that won. So it was a really strange one, but for QPR, as you say, a huge victory and it could be invaluable come the end of the season for them. Lifts them up to fourth, keeps them in it. Got a game in hand on Huddersfield in third, but it's ridiculous, isn't it? Fourth place, fifty nine points, and they're only five in front of Coventry in tenth. So nothing can be taken to, to Millwall in eleventh. And possibly, maybe even Blackpool in 12th. I don't think you can discredit them yet. He's still alive for them, but perhaps a little bit less likely than, say, Millwall. But for QPR, as you say, huge victory. One, they needed and for me, they deserved it. But at the same time, they've now got to use that now and build right. It can't just be a flash in the pan. Yeah, Luton did have a bit of a touch of fortune, I thought, with the first goal that I think could have quite easily been ruled out for handball. Um, and let's be fair, David Marshall should absolutely be saving the shot from Cameron Jerome, which which went in. He did pull off a worldly save shortly before that from Adebayo, but he was actually offside, so it wouldn't have counted anyway. Um, but then to let that squirm under him from Jerome was pretty poor goalkeeping. And Marshall did really well when he first came in, uh, when Dieng was at uh, AFCON. But since Dieng's been out injured, which was the Blackburn game, he got injured and came, Marshall had to come on at half-time. He's made a few errors, to be honest. He should have done better for the Kadra free kick um, in that match. A mistake here, and there's been a couple of moments where he's looked a little bit suspect, so that's one to keep an eye on for sure. Nottingham Forest 4, Reading nil. The big winners of the weekend were Steve Cooper's side. And it took just 17 seconds for them to open the scoring 
with Keenan Davis finishing off a lovely flowing move. Quickest goal in the championship this season, George. Um, and I thought Joe Worrell, we have one to highlight his lovely pass, which was the decisive ball, which sort of split open the Reading defence to find Spence, who usual quality from the byline cuts it back and it's a nice swivel and finish from Keenan Davis. This one was all about Keenan Davis, if we're being fair. He was the star man and certainly the second goal sort of showed some qualities and characteristics to me that I perhaps didn't give him enough credit for. Brilliant and brilliant pace, but not so much the pace, but the agility to sort of jink and, and weave past the uh, Reading defender. I think it was uh, Scott Danny left for absolute dead. Um, and I know, I know he's quick running in a straight line and he's quite mobile, but I think that sort of agility and skill as well to to really beat a man and drop his shoulder, which, you know, big shoulders, he's got a lot of weight to shift from one side to another. Um, I probably didn't give him enough credit for that. And it's an unerring finish as well for the second and that was really impressive. He's definitely, I think it's gone under the radar, I think, with Forrest, how much they've not really missed Lewis Graben. And let's not forget, Lewis Graben's been in phenomenal form for Nottingham Forest this season. His record is, especially combining with Brennan Johnson, has been brilliant. So for him to have been out for two months, or, or he will be out for two months by the time he's back, um, and Davies just sort of slot into that role, has been absolutely fantastic. Since Chris Hewton was sacked, only Fulham have taken more points than their haul of 54. So that shows that since, what, October when Cooper came in? Um, um, Forrest have been... Yeah, September, October. That, that Forrest have been a, a top two team. And I don't think you can you know gloss over that. They're still slightly outside, having had a lot of um, a lot of ground to make up in the playoff race. But I certainly wouldn't be backing against them finishing in the top six. No chance, absolutely no chance. I mean, you you know that I've built up a bit of a, a bit of an obsession for Forest, and I've I've got money on them to get promoted this season. I will admit it. I did get a good price, so I did lump some money on that about a month ago, something like that. And that win at the weekend, even though I think it was with no disrespect to Reading, pretty nailed on. They get it, but they took them to the cleaners, didn't they? And I am going to talk a little bit about Keenan Davis just before Forest overall. And I watched Forest win at Blackburn in February and he didn't score that night but I have not seen a championship striker lead the line in his own like that for quite some time he absolutely bullied Blackburn's defenders he was like a bulldozer running through them so much power so much pace so much strength and I honestly looked at that game and I thought this kid has got a future ahead of him he was so powerful up front on his own I watched the draw with Sheffield United a little over a week ago as well he was brilliant again and I was no no surprise to see him score a couple of goals at the weekend. And that, you've said there, quickest goal of the championship season. It was actually Forrest's quickest goal in 22 years as well, I've read today. So it was quite a, quite a stat, that one. But there is something special about that man. And like you say, he's he's even though he's not been fluent in terms of scoring goals, his presence at the top end of the pitch has has taken the focus away from Lewis, Grab's, Lewis Graben's absence, hasn't it? They haven't missed him massively as good as Lewis Craven has been this year. So Keenan Davis has really stepped up and done really well. But for Forrest, collectively now, I mean, things are going well for them at the minute. They really are. They're playing good football. For me, they should have won it. They should have won the game at Sheffield United, even though they needed a 95th minute equaliser. I thought they were far the better team that night. They played really, really well. Could have been out of sight by half time for me. Obviously Brennan Johnson with a, a shocking penalty and it's not very often I have anything critical to say about him. But Forest now, they're unbeaten in the last six league games. They've had three draws in there, so it's not, not as good as they would have liked, but it keeps the unbeaten run going. They've only lost four times in the league since Steve Cooper got the job. It's ridiculous. It's a terrific run. It proves that they should. Is that? Yeah, four defeats, that's all. And one of them, let's be fair, was to Fulham, to a good Middlesbrough side away from home, to a good Huddersfield side. So it's only really the, the Cardiff defeat that you could, you could possibly question, really. But mm-hmm. since that game, they've responded brilliantly. Obviously, they've made it to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, which is another big achievement. And I have to say, that tie with Liverpool at the weekend, that absolutely screams FA Cup classic, that one. And I, re- I really think Forrest could do it. It'd be a tough one, don't get me wrong, but I've got a sneaky feeling that should be a proper FA Cup tie. But for Steve Cooper, I mean, what a job he's done. They're flying at the minute, playing really good football as well. They're entertaining to watch. And I've read today that they, the City's never felt as united for so long and it seems like Steve Cooper's just united the red half of that city and there's such belief around Nottingham Forest at the minute it's great to see it's a it's a big football club historic football club and for too long they've been flirting at the 
the wrong end or the middle end of the championship table. They've not been knocking on that door consistently. And now it seems like they're going to get that chance. And I think of the chasing pack currently, I think they are the strongest and certainly the best on paper. We are a doubt. I think they look terrific. They're playing some really good stuff. Joy to watch. And let's be honest, if they do get in the playoffs, what a transformation from the start they had. As good as Forest were, Reading are pretty shit, aren't they? Like they were, they were They're not awful. very good, put it no, that they, way. They were awful. And some very interesting quotes from Paul Ince post-match after his third successive defeat. Um, this, team, this team has got a soft underbelly and they collapsed after the second goal. This one's my personal favourite. I've told them they need to forget that ticky-tacker crap they've had for the last six months. They need to fight. Um, all this has followed, obviously, after his comments last week went pretty viral about the physios. And Paul Ince is looking incredibly outdated and like a manager that was out of work for eight weeks and probably shouldn't have been drafted in to the job at a ridiculously underperforming football club that, that needed some sort of survival instincts. I, I think they will get relegated if they carry on. I know they had a brief spell where they beat Preston and they beat Birmingham, but I think Derby and Barnsley can probably amass enough points to make that gap up. And I just think... I just think the noise is just, how can you be saying things like that? That's just so outdated, it's, so dinosaur-like. And I, I fear for Reading big time. It's a broken football club, isn't it? And you have to feel sorry for the supporters because they don't deserve this. And Reading, let's not forget, only three or four years ago, whatever it were, we're, we're one game away from getting back into the Premier League. And it's been a, it's been a downward spiral ever since. And it's weird because I was only discussing it with somebody the other day, actually, about obviously when Reading got rid of Velko Paunovic. They obviously did the club statement confirming his exit, blah, 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 blah. Last paragraph, we welcome Paul Ince. It was almost like it was going to attract. Exactly. It was kind of like, gonna just they knew it would attract that much negativity that they just wanted to just try and leave it as late as possible and just quickly mention it but and get it out of the way. that was only meant to be an interim appointment. So it they can was, replace him again without I sort of sacking think, him. But it, but it doesn't sound as though they're any closer to getting somebody in. I've not been checking it regularly, I must admit, but I've not seen anything. But I mean, like you say, the comments he's come out with, and I mean, he's been out of management for the best part of 10 years, something like that. Eight years. Something like that anyway. But to me, they just look a broken club. They really do from top to bottom. I've not seen a lot of Reading this year, so I can't can't go too deep on on analysis and things like that. But exactly, the rules and the results show that they've not been good enough. I mean, only Peterborough have lost more games. Barnsley have lost the same record, amount of Reading. I mean, look at that defensive and, record. And, I mean, Barnsley have, even though it's not been blistering in recent weeks, they have started to turn a corner. They they obviously got a point against Fulham on Saturday. They were very unlucky not to take off, even if the penalty was very dubious. But the performance wasn't bad, I must admit. So, Barnsley are looking like a side United and are, are fighting for their lives, whereas Reading look as though they're a team that basically... No, they're beaten before they've even kicked off almost. So, Paul Ince has got a, a huge job on there. But, like you said, I, I don't really think he's helping himself with some of the stuff he's saying publicly. No, definitely not. Bournemouth 2, Derby County 0. Uh, much better performance from the Cherries, who took advantage of a few slip-ups to go back into second. They've now got a two-point cushion on Huddersfield in third, with three games in hand. I have to say, I don't think they've performed brilliantly since the turn of the year. But the, with the points they've got on the board now, I don't see how Bournemouth don't get promoted because I don't think there's another team that are consistent enough to catch them. Now, if you put them at a level... If we started the season now and said you've got 10 games, who's going to amass the most points? I don't think Bournemouth will amass the second highest amount of points between now and the end of the season. But they've got such a gap on the other teams. I probably would have said Sheffield United potentially could have, but I think that that result of the weekend's probably blown any chances of that. And I think Bournemouth, it would have to be a real collapse and not get enough points on the board to get that second spot at this point. That said, the form has been decent recently. Four wins in six, only one defeat in that run. Um, and Jaden Anthony was absolutely superb and back to his best at the weekend. Double nutmeg to create the opener for Dominic Solanke. And another top performer that Bournemouth fans have been raving about is Lewis Cook, who should really be a class above at this level. But coming back from, you know... a an ACL injury and he'd had one previously before that, not that long before. Um, it's not easy to find that rhythm again, but playing in that number six role in front of the defence with Jefferson Lerma to one side as it was at the weekend and Todd Cantwell the other with Phil Billing out injured in advance. Um, the midfield looks succinct. It worked well. 
Jamal Lowe's making a big impact off the bench. He scored four goals in five. And one of those appearances was a three-minute sub-appearance in midweek against Peterborough. So four in four, essentially, for him. So it's not all doom and gloom at, at Bournemouth by any means. I'm surp- I've been surprised to see Nat Phillips still in the team. Gary Cale seems to not be able to get in at the minute, which is quite you know, surreal, given that we probably would have put him in our team of the year, certainly six weeks ago. So that's a bit of a, an interesting one. Ethan Laird's not getting a kick at the minute either, despite leaving Swansea to go on loan he's to, to been, Bournemouth. Been injured he has for been quite injured, a while, though, he's had a lot of problems. Yes, but um, for the last three match days, he's been available and Scott Parker's left, yeah, left him know. out for tactical reasons rather than any selection problem. So I know he's been injured, but he's been left out for tactical decisions now, which I think is a very strange one. And nonetheless, Bournemouth are, are, are certainly doing better. The performances aren't glowing. And when you draw one all at home to Peterborough midweek, there's going to be unrest. But four wins in six is good. It's a clean sheet again here. And they beat a Derby side who are essentially a mid-table team, but because of the points deduction, aren't very good. So that's definitely a step up um, from, you know, drawing at home to a Peterborough side that are down there because they're not very good. Yeah, I totally agree. They, they needed that win. They really did, obviously. They'd lost to Preston. Then, obviously, as you say, had that draw with Peterborough, which was a really, really bad result. It must be said. It, it was a game where you'd have, you'd have banked on Bournemouth winning that one when they obviously won four of the previous five. But they got back to winning ways. They got the job done. Uh, and onwards they go, obviously. They've got that cushion on Huddersfield. With the play at the weekend, of course, that could be a very interesting one, could be a defining game. But with the games in hand Bournemouth have got, which I always say, you've got to win them to make the make the advantage count. But they've got points on the board. The two clear. Obviously, they've got a midweek game before the Huddersfield game, so it could be a whole different story by the time they kick off on Saturday. But it was a professional performance from Bournemouth. I think it was one of those where they didn't really have to do a lot in terms of going up to the gears. They just managed the game well, got the job done got the goals at, at the right moment sort of thing just to take the sting out of Derby right on the stroke of half-time and kill it off right at the end and like I say it's just it just keeps them ticking along nicely doesn't it and it's weird because even though they're up there and, and look a very very good bet to go up automatically is, is really they probably should with the players they've got there was a lot of hatred towards Scott Parker and the players after the Peterborough draw and I can understand frustration yet you've, you've just been held at home by the, the worst side in the league or a rock bottom but the fans were really, really overreacting, in my opinion, and almost calling for his head and for him to go. I mean, you're top two, you're going up, you would think, unless a disaster strikes. Just It's one of those days, it was just one of those events where you knock on the door, it doesn't quite work out. But they're in a healthy position. They've got a six-point cushion on QPR in fourth, two points clear on his field, three games in hand as well. I mean, with the squad they've got, I think it would take a, a big bet to think they wouldn't get top two now. Yeah. Now, the first of my uh, rants about refereeing decisions this weekend coming up. Oh, here um, we go. I'll put my feet up. Derby should have had a penalty at nil-nil. Ravel Morrison just wiped yep. out completely. Referee says no thanks. And this was a theme across the weekend. I, I put a tweet about it uh, yesterday. And the, the standard of officiating the championship we know is horrific. But this weekend in particular was <laughs> so bad. Derby were one team that got done. Uh, I'll touch on others, but Blackburn, Huddersfield... Um, we'll come round to more decisions, but my God, there were some shocking decisions. Peter Stoke both had a penalty <laughs> that should have should have had penalties, and one should was have it, had a penalty. And, it was a shocker oh, in the worst one as of well. the all. The worst of the lot is that penalty that Fulham conceded because oh, Carlton Morris fouls at, <laughs> he fouls Adarabio and falls over, and the referee gives a penalty. That is the worst of the lot. But there were some shockers, and I would probably put. The, the one on on Ravel Morrison somewhere in the middle of the pack, but that was uh, that was disappointing to see. But Derby is still in touching distance of survival, of course. I think it's five points at the moment. They have been really bad away from home for a while now, and that that is going to cost them if they're not careful because the home form's their best chance of survival. And they've got six home games left to play at Pride Park, George, Coventry, Preston, Fulham, Bristol City, and Cardiff. Now, Bristol City and Cardiff, they've got a good chance. Could potentially te- could potentially beat one of Coventry or Preston. But they're putting a lot of importance on these home games if they're going to continue and pick up nothing away from home, which is how they've been all season, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, those, those home games is what's really going to decide their future between now and the end of the season. Blackburn Rovers won. No, Blackburn Rovers nil, Bristol City won. Um, the footballing gods didn't read the script on this one, I think it's fair to say. 
<laughs> Paul Bradley Dak, he makes his comeback exactly one year after tearing his ACL. For the second time, I might add as well. He, he's practically missed the last two years of football with uh, two torn ACLs. He steps up. He misses the penalty. Tim Closer seemed to think he was taking the penalty because he was that stood that far inside the penalty area when the kick was taken. That should have been retaken. That's another bad refereeing decision. And then I thought Blackburn were denied two very decent shouts for penalties after that. It's worth saying I don't think the penalty that was actually given was really a penalty. I don't think Masengo did a lot wrong, really, um, on Van Hecker. But they had two penalty shouts that I thought were fair. I thought Vyman on Kadra looked clumsy, although the, the pundits on Quest seemed to think not. I think it looked clumsy. And there was one as well where someone was pulled back in the penalty area off the ball, which wasn't shown in the main highlights package, but was flagged up after the game, which also looked like a penalty. Now, Blackburn haven't scored. Well, they've scored one goal in nine games. That's the only game they've won in that run as well, which was against Queen's Park Rangers. But they created an XG of 2.3 in this one. And over that nine-game run, they've, they've created an XG of 11 goals and scored twice. Now... That can't continue. That is a that is a run of variance. They are creating the chances. They're just not finishing them. So if I was a Blackburn fan, I wouldn't be that worried because I think the performance have still been decent. I think they're still creating chances. Finishing them is the big issue. And obviously that comes down to Ben Brereton-Diaz being out. He's got 43% of their goals this season. That is a worrying level of over-reliance, granted. They had that level of over-reliance on Adam Armstrong last season. But as I say, the performances haven't been awful. They're still in the top six as we stand in fifth. And they've just got to find a way of converting those chances. They're losing by fine margins. And if they can do that and get back on track, you know, the, you know, the, the laws of variance would say they can't carry on creating this many chances and not scoring goals. Uh, and I say 2.3 at the weekend will be probably 0.7, 0.8 of that is from the penalty. But even so, they were expected to score just under two goals without the penalty. That, that's just bad luck and uh, it can't continue forever. So if they've had potentially their worst of it, which I think they might have when you've been on this sort of run and you're still in the top six, it's not an awful position to be in. That said, absolute sucker punch at the end where Joe Williams puts in a brilliant cross slash ridiculously bad shot that he slices. I don't think he was even going out for a throw-in. It was, I don't think he had the legs to go out for a throw-in. Brilliant finish from Andy Vyman at the back post, who I know we have raved about this season. He's got the, the second most goal involvements this season. If you take out not penalty, so non-penalty goal involvements, he's got the second highest behind Mitrovic. Um, brilliant win for Bristol City. Their first since October, I think. Certainly a first clean sheet for a long time on the road as well. But for Blackburn, bit of variance, bit of bad luck. And it's a game that if they played probably 10 times, they'd win eight or nine of them. Yeah, you're right. The, the... It is a case of Lady Luck not smiling on them, but it, it does have to be a concern when nobody's there to put them away. And like you say, it's always it's always a manager cliche, isn't it, when they say they'd be more concerned if they weren't creating chances than if they weren't. But if you're not putting them in the back of the net, it's, it is going to cost you. And the fact that they've scored one goal in nine games is a huge concern. It's, it's a shocking return, and it is. Admittedly, Brereton Diaz has been absent in recent weeks, and... That stat of him it isn't brilliant. I mean, in 30 games that he's played this season, Blackburn have scored 44. Seven games he's missed, they've scored twice. It does threaten to suggest that there could be a bit of an over-reliance on him. And well, like no you doubt. said... No, 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 there is, but if Mitrovic yeah. disappeared from Fulham... Oh, well, yeah, not absolutely. To the but it is, you could do that with Solanke. But Blackburn have got other options up there, and they have in Gallagher. Kadra has been brilliant. Dolan's working his way back now. Dax, obviously going to take a while but he's coming back into the team now but it's just a bit concerning to have scored one goal in nine games I mean let's be honest if for, for instance if Peterborough had done that we would probably be mocking them pretty hard yes but we've got be to very look critical. at the performance levels the performance yeah. levels of Blackburn have been but if you're not scoring not goals it different. counts for nothing obviously that's that's obvious but I'm looking but looking going just... forward are they going to continue dropping like a stone well, this, or are they this, probably this going to level thing, out and I, I would say they're going to level out on the data would, that we've got you would think so but it, the question is when it's obviously it's not changing for them in a minute how long is it going to take for the that trend to stop and that's like saying how long is a piece of string who knows I really hope it does change because Blackburn deserve to be up there come the end of the season because they, they've been brilliant they have been brilliant when at their very very best this season that run that they had between about October and 
in the beginning of January was was fantastic and it was a joy to watch and we raved about it so much. But when you score one in nine, you've you've got a right to be concerned. But like you say, performances are there. They are creating chances. If the penalty goes in at the weekend, they win the game most likely. So it's all about fine margins, which is what the Championship is. But they are potentially going to drop out of the playoffs to a very unlikely trend that you would have seen coming. And yeah, luck's got some part of it, and it has. But they've got to they've got to arrest this sooner rather than later because the longer this persists, and bear in mind we're recording on on Monday evening, Blackburn are next in action on tomorrow night, Tuesday. That they could win four nil, and my statement in twenty four hours time could be complete rubbish. It could mean nothing, but they've got to find a way to. Anyway, thank you, cheeky sod. But no, let's be honest. They they have got to snap out of it pretty quickly and. To be fair, and, and no disrespect to Derby, a home game against them who are renowned strugglers away from home this season, this is the chance that they need to really get back on track. So I'm a bit concerned, I must admit. I can't lie, I'm not I'm not worried about the fact they've only scored one in nine. It is worrying, it is concerning. But like you say, performances have been there. So hopefully they can find a way to snap out of this this mini horror show and get things back on track. Because like I say, they, they deserve to be up there come the end of the campaign because they have been good. By and large, they really have. I haven't told you we're going to do this. There's about 10 match days left of the season, George. Who's Ooh. going to finish in the playoffs? Right. I want in four names. The, right, the exact four then. I'm going to go Huddersfield, Sheffield okay. United. Yeah. I'm going to go Nottingham Forest. Mm-hmm. They're my three that I think are certainties. Mm-hmm. So Huddersfield, Blades, Forest. That last place... Really, really, really hard to choose because I think there's about four or five candidates that could get in there. But I'm going to name one. I'm going to go with Middlesbrough to sneak in there. I think Blackburn will drop out. I think Middlesbrough's home form will propel them over the line. I think Sheffield United will bounce back from that Coventry drubbing. I think Huddersfield will get there. So that's what I'm going to go for. Huddersfield, Blades, Middlesbrough, Forest. So considering there at the minute, I'm naming two that are currently outside of the top six. I'm going bold, but I re- I can't I can't ignore Forest. I just can't. I'm willing them over the line. They're the team that I I really want to do it. They're the team I'm supporting as the neutral outsider. There, I've said it. This is not quite as controversial as I'd hope because I'm thinking very similar lines. I think Sheffield United will get in the playoffs. I think Nottingham Forest will get in the playoffs. Um, I think Middlesbrough will get in the playoffs. And my head tells me Huddersfield will get in the playoffs. They've got too many points to not get in the playoffs. My heart tells me QPR will get in the playoffs. They've been there all season. They've got a good manager. There's no logic that suggests QPR will finish above Huddersfield. But I feel like QPR will be in the playoffs. And I don't know how to put five teams into four places. Yeah, And this is the thing, isn't it? There are genuinely, whoever gets in them four spots, whoever it is, whether it's who we've chosen or somebody completely different, there are going to be teams that are going to miss out by the thinnest of margins that on the balance of the season deserve to get in there and I think that is testament to how well these teams have com- competed for these four spots and I know we say every week as neutral that it's just a joy for us to enjoy but for the fans of these clubs it must be such a topsy-turvy ride right now thinking one week yep yeah, we're in there we're going to do it then the next week one setback oh god they're sneaking up on us like really quickly so it really does remain anybody's guess but I'm going to go with those four. Like you say, I think Huddersfield potentially now, even though it's not mathematically impossible, I think are too far gone to drop out, QPR especially with the run they've been on. There's only six points. And teams I know. Games no, I'm so going for QPR. I'm going QPR. I'm, I'm sticking with Over my heart. Who? Over who? Over who? You think Huddersfield will drop out? I think... It's not so much it's I think them. Huddersfield will drop out, but I think it's four other teams will finish too much. the playoffs. I just think QPR will get there. If QPR won at the weekend, I would say no. But they're only four points. QPR are only four points behind Huddersfield. And they've got a game game in hand. hand. And then when I look at it, I think United. United are only three points behind Huddersfield with a game in hand. Middlesbrough. Six Six behind Huddersfield. Sorry, that's what I meant. They'll only be three points behind them when they played that. Yeah, oh, right. They win it, sorry. Um, Borough and Forest are only seven and eight points with a game in hand. Ah. Do I think Middlesbrough will get more points between? Uh, do I think Middlesbrough and Forest will get more points between now and the end of the season? On Huddersfield, probably. Forest have got two games in hand, in fact, on Huddersfield. I think so. the question as well over Forest is: 
obviously, and Middlesbrough as well, those two have obviously still got the FA Cup to compete in. I mean, if they're still in the FA Cup after and, this weekend, I think... Yeah, and that, that sure. I mean, people will say, oh, the FA Cup, it, it, it's extra games, it could overload injuries and things Not like that. You but get to this point, you, I don't think. If you they get, if they get it, to the semi-finals of the FA Cup, I think that becomes middle, more important than anything. If Middlesbrough beat Chelsea and Nottingham Forest beat Liverpool, can you imagine the confidence that the imagine both groups of players in the semi-final? Wow! I mean, you have to go. What back have we done to, here? Have we just accidentally like scheduled the FA Cup. Well, I mean, you think about it. I think you have to go back to two thousand eight for the last time a Championship club got to the FA Cup final. Am oh. I right in saying that? Yes. Yeah. Or oh, we're Reading in the they got to the semi final, didn't they? they got to the semi final. Yeah. Hull were in the Premier League when they got. Yeah. There. That's what I mean. If I know we could, this Sheffield could all be. obviously the, got to the semis when they're in League One. Yeah. But I mean, for Forest and Middlesbrough, the amount of confidence they would take from them victories, and a lot of people say, yeah, but injuries they might contribute to things. But, I mean, seriously, if you got to the FA Cup semi final, no semi finals. I mean, what an achievement that would be. It's probably worth so, mentioning while you're talking about injuries. Forrest have had a double injury blow today. I don't know if you've seen Max Lowe and Steve Cook are both going to be out for six weeks, which is quite... Oh, I, I hadn't seen that. The only Forrest news I'd seen today is that Ryan Yates has signed a new contract. Yes, and what form him. he's in, by the way. He is. He's so, in the right, form just of his to finalise, I've gone in no order. QPR, Forrest, Borough, United. You've gone United, uh, Huddersfield, Huddersfield, Borough, Forrest. Forrest. So yeah. we've got one difference in there. And I'm not... I'm, I, I was between Huddersfield and QPR. So I think as Luton, as good as Luton have been, as good as uh, Blackburn have been, as good as Coventry have been, Millwall, I just don't and, think they've got enough. But it still would be achievements for them this oh, season. God, yeah. Partic- <laughs> Blackburns could be frowned upon a little bit. No, if you look at a lot of people's predictions, where a lot they of were, people thought they'd struggle with the way they off. finished last season. No, it's still an achievement. I mean, in a top t- 10 finish for in them. In terms of where they were, though, say a few weeks ago, but they were always overachieving. They, they were. In, in, that, in the grand scheme of things of the season, it would be an achievement. But I think from where they were, it would be quite a drop-off. But it, that it tells the tale of this season as a whole. It's just been a season of continuous changes in that playoff pack. And after we've said all this, it'll probably be Coventry and Luton that get into the playoffs. So <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? But I mean, for the neutrals, what, what, a, what a few weeks it's going to be over the, over the next what? Six or seven weeks till the season ends. It's been terrific. Final game of the weekend. Blackpool won Swansea nil. Not a lot happened in this game, so we don't have to go over the board with analysis. But another good win for Blackpool at home, thanks to a very early header from Gary Medine. Soft marking from Swansea, it has to be said, who had a lot of the possession, a lot of the boards we'd expect, but they just couldn't do anything with it, really. Blackpool set up in a 5-4-1, quite happy to defend in a low block. And, and Russell Martin's biggest challenge at Swansea remains trying to find a way of cutting through those sort of defences who are going to sit deep, play low block. You can have all the ball in the world. If you've not got that incision, and, and I note that, that Swansea went to a 4-2-3-1, which I think is the first time they've played a back four since Russell Martin came in due to injuries. Ryan Manning was out and, and Ryan Bennett and a few, few others. Um, Blackpool good value and as you say they, they've had a fantastic season the, the home wins keep on coming the home clean sheets keep on coming as well Gary Medine's been you know if I told you you know in what December that Gary Medine was going to keep Jerry Yates and Shane Lavery out of the team you would have said that that's not true but here it is yeah Gary Medine's done really well he's had a really good season as Blackpool have as a whole and I mean the stat that I've put on the on the Twitter page today on on Monday only Fulham, Middlesbrough and Blackburn have won more home games than Blackpool this season. And that's testament to a team that has obviously newly promoted and has had to work its way back through the leagues to get back to where they were. And Neil Critchley is he's another of many contenders for manager of the season for, for the objectives that he surpassed. So they've done really, really well. They've been a joy to watch at times. I mean, they've got flashes of quality, but they're such a hard-working team. There's real character and, and belief within that squad. And that all extends and stems from the manager. So... Really well done to Blackpool. I mean, they've defied every expectation. I think out of the three newly promoted teams, they were one of the ones that I feared for the most, to be fair. I thought Peterborough would do better than them and look how wrong I'd be on that front. So, really well done to them. They're, they've had a terrific season. And for me, the playoffs isn't impossible. I think it's doubtful. But if they can just keep doing what they're doing, and particularly at home, they're, they're going to be there or thereabouts and certainly not a million miles away, even if they don't get in there. Top half finish would be a massive achievement for them. Oh, it would, without a doubt. It'd be terrific. 
They have. When you look at the draws, there was obviously six draws, so we've got a little bit more in-depth, certainly on three of them, than we would normally. Uh, West Brom 2, Huddersfield 2 was the Friday night game. I watched this in its entirety. Um, I, thought Huddersfield, I thought Huddersfield were excellent for 80 minutes. Different shape for them. They went 4-4-2, playing Sorba Thomas up front with Danny Ward, Lewis O'Brien playing on the left, whereas when they played and won at Fulham recently, it was, again, that 4-4-2 shape. It was O'Brien that played up front with Danny Ward. Um, I've got to say that the refereeing decision to award a penalty changes the game. A, an incorrect decision in my head. Um, Sorba Thomas doesn't make any contact with Alex Mowat. It's not a penalty. It gets given. And then, yes, you could say, all right, that's only 2-1 and, and Huddersfield should defend the cross that comes into Andy Carroll better, who headed in, obviously, a minute later. But that changes the game. So, for me, that that's a, a tough one for Huddersfield to take when they're trying to stem the tide. And they could have lost it in the end with Colin Grant hitting the bar. Two more bad refereeing decisions in this one. Peterborough 2, Stoke 2. Really good game. Um, superb goals as well from Jacob Brown and Johnson Clark Harris. Really liked Jacob Brown's goal. I really like Jacob Brown full stop. He should start every game for Stoke, in my opinion, because I think he's got a bit of everything. He's got a he's you know he's six foot two. He's got a bit of physicality and presence about him, but he's got a turn of pace and he's got a good shot on him. I don't know what more you'd want in a striker. And when you look that he played up front with Stephen Fletcher, I've, that's one player coming to the end of his career and one player certainly you know flourishing. So for me, I, I think he should be they should be trying to build their attack around the likes of Tyrese Campbell and and Jacob Brown and. Maggio would probably be, you know, the sort of players I would be sticking with. Um, but I thought there was some bad refereeing decision. i say it's definitely not a pen for the handball by Josh Knight or the alleged handball, which Lewis Baker obviously puts in the back of the net from the spot. It hits his thigh and then pops up. If it even hits his arm at all, I don't think that's handball. Correct decision to award a penalty that Clark Harris scored for, for Fuchs, who was brought down by Ben Wilmot. That's a penalty. No problems with that. But then right at the end, uh, Josh Knight again involved, brings down Josh Mazur, should be a penalty for Stoke. So it actually evened itself out in the end because I thought Stoke should have had a one penalty and shouldn't have had the one they were given. And Petersburg was a penalty. So but just incompetence in it. It's just bad refereeing. Um, and then, as I say, the worst of the lot was in Barnsley-Fulham. I thought Barnsley played all right. I think they played quite well. But that's just a foul by Morris on Adarabayo. And then he falls down under no contact. And then... To make Max worse, probably the most... If I told you to envisage a Harry Wilson-esque goal, unless you smacked a free kick in from 30 yards, which he's not done for a little while, in fairness, this is the goal you would envisage. Left foot, slightly cuts in, top corner, curled effort. But he did miss a sitter at the end to, to head Fulham um, into all three points. And then there were three nil-nils, which I'm not going to even bother talking about because they were all pretty dire, particularly Birmingham nil, Hull nil. That was the worst of the lot, I would say. Any Any comments on the weekend draw? No, not really. I, I watched the, the Barnsley-Fulham game uh, in its entirety. It was on in the press room at Hillsborough. Never a penalty in a million years. Barnsley, though, to their credit, did play very well in the first half. I thought, I thought they took the game to Fulham and had a real good go. Wilson moaned a brilliance to, to secure a late point. Should have scored a winner a few minutes later. How he missed that, Lord only knows, but he did. But for, for, for Barnsley, if he'd have offered them... I don't them know that, why he headed off. it. He could have volleyed it. I don't know why he, he headed it. He could have. But uh, as I say, Barnsley, they did snap your hand off for a point at kickoff without a doubt against a, a team like Fulham, but it will have felt like a defeat, especially after how they, they failed to win so late on against Stoke as well a few days earlier. So a real kick in the teeth of Barnsley. They'll be, they'll be thinking they should have had four points more than what they got from those two home games. But for me, it, it offers a, a sense of belief from them that they still think they can get out of it. They're only a few points behind Reading now, and whereas a few weeks ago we thought they were dead and buried and Derby were going to be the only team that could get out of this. All of a sudden, Barnsley, I think, uh, have got to be taken seriously. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. To round off this week's podcast, we're going to do our shocks and bankers now. There is a full slate of Championship action in midweek, but we're going to be looking ahead to the weekend action to keep this podcast nice and fresh for those listening at the back end of the week. George, what are you going for this weekend? Well, in terms of a banker, I'm going to go with one of the uh, two early kickoffs this weekend. I'm going to go Sheffield United at home to Barnsley. I mean, Barnsley, as I've just said, literally just there. They've been been going all right of late. They've been ticking along, but I fancy United, especially at home, to, to get back on track after that Coventry defeat. So that's my banker this week. In terms of a shock, I'm going to I'm going to go for a bit of a surprise one here. I'm I'm going to go for Hull to beat Luton at home. Hull. Not been brilliant of late, let's be honest. They really haven't. Luton. They've all got enough to play for that they need. 
Well, I think they'll be all right. I think they'll be fine. I mean, the gap That's is what I mean. currently They're not what, going down. They're not. That's what I mean. The thirteen like, points above it. Is there enough? So, to be on the beach a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm going to go. I'm going to go for Hull to win that one. Obviously, goals have been a, a real issue in recent weeks. But Luton, don't know, might just have upset them a little bit and rattled them that defeat to QPR. Obviously, they were a midweek game beforehand, so they could bounce back before that game quite easily. But going to go for Hull this weekend. So Bankers, Sheffield United, and the shot will be Hull City. For me, I'm going for QPR to beat Peterborough at home. Um, we quite well know that Peterborough are the worst travellers in the Championship. Concede a lot of goals. I think QPR's win against uh, Luton will, will give them a lot of confidence. It'll give them a rush. Of course, these it's always difficult when we've got midweek games to, to predict how they could influence the weekend games. But I think QPR will be on a, a bit of a crest of a wave, potentially after beating Luton in, in such circumstances. So I'm going for them to beat Peterborough as my banker. And my shock, I'm going to go for Derby to beat Coventry, despite Coventry's brilliant result at the weekend. I think Derby's best chance, they've got to win probably three of their home games, if not four of their, their next six home games in order to stay up. And Coventry are certainly a team that I think can be beaten away from home. Coventry's best form has come at, at home and not away on the road. And Derby's best form has been certainly at Pride Park. So I think that could be a shock. So Derby to beat Coventry is my shock and QPR to beat Peterborough as my banker. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy the podcast, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast helps go a long way to reaching new listeners. So if you do enjoy our weekly breakdowns, please do drop a retweet whenever the episodes go live on a Monday. And you can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in our podcast description if you do feel so inclined. So thank you very much. Have a great week and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.